James chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his hum humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat, and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You know, it's so tempting in this life to, to chase after all this world has to offer. But God offers us something that is lasting, something that is eternal. And something that we have to remind ourselves about. That, you know, like, like the grass in my lawn that is dormant and just brown. This life is just passing so quickly. You know, just this week I heard news of someone that had, a uh, young, young guy, that I, don't, I don't really know him, but had died uh, suddenly in a, in a motorcycle accident in his mid-30s with a couple young kids. And, you know, this life is just passing so quickly. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons we gather together is to, to remind ourselves of that fact, remind ourselves of what is real and what is lasting. So uh, as we pass the offering, uh, we're going to sing this next song. I was just asking what time you usually get over. But I've also told the guy, if you get tired of me preaching, just turn down the mic. You know, and I'll stop, so. <laughs> I, I think real quick, I'm gonna just have you stand up, and I want you to shake hands with two people that are shorter than you, okay? That are shorter than you. Hey there. Hey, how tall are you? I'm 6'4". <laughs> good, good, good. Okay. I thought this is short, short person day. It is good to be here. And uh, I was thinking, you know, do any of you have cell phones and have you text and use the text and the auto spell kicks in? Have you ever experienced that? Uh, it's crazy. The other day I was, um, we were having a singles gathering. I work with some of the singles and I work with people over 60 at Valley, but I was, texting a gal, she actually was from Cambodia, and I said, her name is Saran, S-A-R-A-N, like, like Saran rap, or, but, but anyway, I was texting away, I said, hey, Saran, you're invited, a uh, few of us are getting together tonight at 6.30 for a dinner, and I sent it out, I hope you can make it if it works out, and I, I sent it, I sent it off, and then you look at your message later, have you ever done that? It said, Satan, you are invited to our singles gathering. I did apologize to that, but she was very gracious. It corrected it to Satan. Go figure. So I, 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 I don't like those phones, but today, you know, something I love when I, when I study the Bible, something that I really love is I love to do some character studies once in a while. A character study and and what I really like to do is sometimes I like to look at a background character in the Bible someone that's kind of in the background but then all of a sudden there's a moment that maybe they're in the background but then all of a sudden they come to the foreground I believe that we're kind of like background people God uses our lives and so on I was thinking about this background because I was thinking of a little boy his name was Willie Myrick, true story, happened in 2014. The little boy, he was a little uh, African-American boy from Atlanta, Georgia. He simply was playing in his front yard, 
he is nine years old, and a car drove by, and the guy got out of the car and kidnapped, just took Willie, threw him in the back seat of the car, and said, if you say anything, uh, you know, I'll really hurt you. And Willie was overwhelmed with fear. Wouldn't you be afraid to? But all of a sudden, little Willie was brought up in a little Baptist church, and then all of a sudden his fear gave way to faith. And for the next three hours in the back seat, while the kidnapper was cussing at him and told him, shut up, little Willie sang. He sang. This is the song he sang. If you wanted to just we're to listen to a minute of the song, a minute of the song, this is what he sang. This is kind of a flash mob, but you'll at least... you want to get up and sing, doesn't it? That was Hezekiah Walker who wrote that song. But I wanted you to hear it because for three hours, little Willie Myrick in the back seat, he sang every praise. And there's a refrain in it that's so powerful. He's my healer. He's my deliverer. And he sang that for three hours. The guy threatened him cussed at him. Finally, the kidnapper was so sick of him singing, he let him off in a neighborhood and said, don't tell anybody. (laughs) I just love that because you know what? His fear gave way to faith. And little Willie, who would be just such a background character, was on the news. It hit national news. A little boy with faith. Today, today I wanted to look at a character who's a little bit in the background, and I think sometimes maybe a little bit misunderstood. I came to Christ when I was 16, and you know, some people kind of take off like a rocket, and some people take off like a little sparkler, but you know, we're at different stages, but you know what? It was exciting time when a bunch of us came to Christ and growing in the Lord, and, and uh, but then sometimes something happens, you know? Sometimes as you grow older, you, your knowledge increases, but, but sometimes you become a little bit critical and you begin to look down. I remember when I was first saved, I couldn't understand why everybody wasn't sold out to Christ. And, you know, sometimes I think probably I began to judge people a little bit. And sometimes that happens. But what I love is 
be careful how we judge people because sometimes these background people can come to the front at the right moment, at the right time. You know, I've kind of defined it that when you come to Christ, there's a line of followers. And there's some that follow really, really close, and they're at the front of the line. But then there's some people that kind of follow from a distance, and sometimes the frontline people have a tendency to look down on the, those that are following more at a distance. And I think some people would say this about the character that we're studying today. I think some of them would say, you know what? He was not a front line. He was in the back of the line. But we're going to look at him today. And his name was Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea. And if you're taking notes, we're just going to go through here, and we'll look at Scripture in just a second here. And on the back of your notes is Scripture, but we'll also shine it on the board. But I love Joseph of Arimathea. When I get to heaven, I want to talk to Joseph of Arimathea. Because he was in the background, but all of a sudden he came to the foreground, and God used him mightily. And I'm convinced that God can use any one of us. Maybe you feel like you're in the back of the line, but God can use you, and God's made you for a purpose. And you never know until the end of life how that purpose has played out in your life. But who was he? He's kind of the disciple no one really ever remembers. He's not talked about much, but today we're going to talk about him because I think we can be encouraged by his life. First of all, who he was. He was a Pharisee. You can write that, blank number one. Point number eight, he was a Pharisee. Hey, there were 6,000 of them in Israel, and these were religious zealots. And I know we look down on Pharisees. You know, I do. And Jesus blasted them. He said, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? But let me tell you, the Pharisees were the religious zealots of the day. They would be compared to our SEAL team. They were the most devoted of the devoted, and they would, everybody would think they were at the front of the line. They fasted every Tuesday and Thursday. They gave 22% of their income to the Lord. All of them had memorized the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These guys were religious zealots, and though we have a tendency to look down on them, back in that day, they were the upper class, the top 6,000. These were really supposedly the committed people. And Joseph was one of them. But not only that, he was a Pharisee, but something else. He was part of the Sanhedrin, next, point number B. That was the top 70 in Israel. The top 70, he's top, top 6,000. Now he's the top 70. I would almost compare him to one of our senators. In the United States, we have 100 senators. He was one of the Jewish religious council leaders, so he would have been in the top 70. And he was, he, he was zealous. He was very prominent in every way. And when you look at his life, you see kind of a progression in his life. And I don't know when it happened, but, but something, he, somehow he was confronted with the claims of Christ. I'm convinced since he was one of the Jewish council, he would have listened in the background at times to Jesus. He would have listened. And I believe that he had a buddy too. I think Joseph of Arimathea had a buddy. His name was Nicodemus. And I think they were friends. And I believe Joseph influenced Nicodemus too. But let's look at, let's look at Joseph of Arimathea from the Scripture and let's see what it says. First of all, let's look at Luke 23. 50 through 56. Now, let's, let's just observe two things about Joseph of Arimathea. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, that's the Sanhedrin, a good and upright man 
who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Let me just tell you just two things about him from that passage. Number one, he was a good man. He was a good man. He had a, had a good heart. I believe he was really a person of faith, genuinely seeking God. Cornelius was a Gentile who really was genuinely seeking God and something about Joseph. He was a good man, according to Scripture. And guess what? He had not consented to their decision and action. Jesus was brought before an illegal trial, and he was brought before the leaders of the Jews. And guess what? When they voted to put Jesus to death, guess who, who said? Uh, he didn't vote. He did not consent to the death of Jesus. I admire that. Everybody else was clamoring for Jesus to be crucified, the leaders of the nation of Israel, but, but he wouldn't vote with them. He was willing to stand alone. I'm kind of convinced Nicodemus didn't vote with them either. So there were probably 68 votes for, two votes against putting Jesus to death. He was good, and he did not consent to the sentence. But I just, I, you know, he was present. So we see a little bit about his characteristics there. Anyway, um, and you know what? I mean, he was a powerful man, and he had this great position and title. I remember years ago, I was at Farm Bureau Insurance, and they, Ch some of you know Chuck Underwood, and Chuck asked me, would you give thanks at a banquet? And uh, I, you know what? I don't really necessarily like praying in front of people, because I, I don't want to pray to people, I want to pray to Jesus. And I said, no, Chuck, I'll, he said, no, John, I want you to pray at a banquet. And what we, they were doing is they were honoring Bishop Maurice Dingman of Des Moines for inviting the Pope to come to Iowa. Do you remember that far back, 1979? And there was a big banquet, and the top brass of Des Moines was there, and I was sitting at the head table, and there was Bishop Maurice Dingman, and they were introducing the table, and, and it was so fun because they said, we're so glad to have Dr. So-and-so, Drake University. We're so glad to have Professor So-and-so. And then they got to Bishop Maurice Dingman, and they said, we're so happy today. We're honoring the very most reverend Bishop Maurice Dingman of Des Moines. Now, I have no problem with that, but I was next. <laughs> and then they said, and then at the front table, John Berglund, career underwriter, Farm Bureau Insurance. I, I was a little disappointed because... I thought they could have at least said, we're so glad to have St. John the Divine. You know, that'd be biblical. But anyway, Bishop Maurice Dingman, I prayed. Bishop Maurice Dingman was very gracious and very kind. He said, thank you. We had a nice chat. But Bishop Maurice Dingman was like high, high up. He would have been like a member of the Sanhedrin. He would have been way up there. Well, we see something else, though, in Matthew 27, and you can go ahead and put it up on the screen, Matthew 27, the second passage. Let's learn something more about Joseph of Arimathea. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he'd cut out of the rock. Just a couple things that I see about Joseph as we're looking at his life. He's kind of in the background, but he's now coming to the foreground. Number one, 
He was a rich man. Now, some of us, and again, when you hear that, some of us would look down a little bit, the really committed. Back in that day, riches, of course, were a sign of God's favor, but today we would look down a little bit on a rich man, but Joseph was rich. He was rich. He had wealthy. He was self-sufficient. How do I know he was wealthy? Because he had a new tomb, a gorgeous tomb, and that costs money to have a tomb that's hewn into a rock. He was rich. So I admire, you know what? He was a rich man. That's, but then something else, what I really like is God wants to tell us where he stood, even though maybe some of us would look down on him. Number two, he was a disciple of Jesus. He was a disciple. That's what the Word of God says about Joseph of Arimathea. He was rich, but he was a disciple. And I'm, I'm so glad God is no respecter of persons. Everybody has to come to Jesus the same way. We kneel before the cross, rich and poor alike. And Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. I, I admire Joseph. I admire him. Because let me tell you, his position and his power and his prominence, there's more cost involved. There's more costs involved in becoming public. So then, let's go on, though, to Mark chapter 15. Or, excuse me, John 19. Excuse me, John 19. Let's learn more. And this is neat, and it's on the back of your notes, too. But let's learn more about Joseph of Arimathea. Later, Joseph of, Ath- of Arimathea asked Pilate, and the word asked is a lot stronger. It's like he begged for the body of Jesus. That took a lot of courage. He's begging for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. That's where, when you read commentaries and you study Joseph, people begin to look down on him a little bit. Oh, maybe he's not a front-of-the-line follower. Maybe he's in the back of the line because he's secret about it. But I want to give him a little break. Do you know what it would have cost? Do you know the cost? Some people it doesn't cost a lot, but for Joseph to come out publicly would have cost him his position in the Sanhedrin. He would have lost his business. No one would have done his business anymore. He would have been kicked out of the synagogue, and he would have been shunned by the Jewish community. There's a cost. Let me tell you right now, there are secret believers all over the world their wives whose husbands are Muslim and they cannot come out publicly because if they came out publicly that they were disciples, they would be killed. There are places all over the world that God, and, and I, I want to give them a break. Haven't you been a secret disciple sometimes, Sue? I think sometimes I have been. I haven't always taken a verbal stand. I think all of us in this room have been a little secret about it at times. So I want to give Joseph a break. I was thinking, I was reading about a POW in Vietnam, and I, I love POW stories, and was reading about it, and one of them, he, he fashioned a little cross out of bamboo. It was in Vietnam. He was taken captive by the communists, and and he fashioned a little cross, and every night he hid that cross, but he would have it out. And this POW who had been tortured, he would just pray. He'd remember the Lord. He would, he would cry out to God, God, give me strength for another day. And then one time the guards came in, and they found the cross, and they beat him to a pulp. They took the cross and tore the cross all up, and then they threw him bloodied back into the cell. 
And you know, he was most grieved that his little cross was gone. They tied him up really tight in solitary. But that night, a guard snuck in, and he loosened, the, he loosened his ropes. And then the guard brought in a beautiful little cross and gave it to him. And, and I don't know about that guard, but maybe he was a secret disciple. I've met people like that all over the world. I surprised, they're believers. And I wondered, was that guard a secret disciple of Jesus? And that's all he could do, was loosen his bands and make him another little cross. I guess I admire that. I admire that. Cassie Burnell, she, she was into Satanism, and, and then she was into weird stuff, but finally started going to Bible studies as a high schooler, and she heard the Word of God, and Cassie Burnell gave her heart to Christ and was trudging on, trying to trudge on for the Lord, trying to change. God was changing her. And then Columbine, the kids broke in, two classmates, and they all hid in the lunchroom as they were killing people. And Cassie was under a table, and one of the guys, Dylan Klebold, or one of them said, are you a believer? Are you a believer? And Cassie, just her lips trembled because eyewitnesses said, but she said, I believe. And he said, then go to be with him, and he shot her in the head. Cassie, a background, kind of in the background, became in the foreground. And we probably might have disapproved a little bit of how she looked and so on, but, but she was a real believer. And, and I want to give Joseph a break because he was a real believer. And the Word of God says he's a disciple of Jesus. But it says, but secretly for fear of the Jews. But then point number three, I think probably he was a little bit afraid of what he would lose. It would cost a lot. But trust me, he would lose a lot more than us. And so I give him a break. But he's beginning to come now more into the foreground. Let's go on to uh, Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. Let's look more at Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, Mark 15. And by the way, people, people have argued, I love it at Bible college, people argue, was Jesus, excuse me, really crucified on Friday? Some say he was crucified on Wednesday. But you know what we can say for sure? He was crucified on Friday. Do you know why? Because of verse 42. It was preparation day. That is the day before the Sabbath. Folks, Jewish Sabbath is from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday. You go to Israel, everything shuts down. And so guess what? It was preparation day. It was Friday, but the Sabbath was coming. Where did the word preparation day? It came from the Old Testament. Remember when the children of Israel had to gather manna? But on the day before the Sabbath, they had to gather twice as much, and that began to be called preparation day, Friday. Jesus died on Friday. But the Jews count, even if you die, even if it's part of a day, they count it as a whole. So it was Friday. And then guess what happens? 
Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Oh, there were tons of prophecies coming together. We can't, if we could only understand all the prophecies that were coming together and coinciding on this day. It was critical. Christ had to die on Friday. He had to be in the tomb, a little part of Friday. He had to be. And so all this is coming together. And Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m. in the morning. And there, and then at 3 in the afternoon, just at the time when they're offering a sacrificial lamb in the temple, Jesus said, it is finished. And he died 3 o'clock. He had to be buried before the Sabbath. We got maybe two hours here. And I so admire, because this background disciple, something happens to Joseph powerfully. Notice what it says. It, are we at Mark? Notice what he is. First, he's a prominent member of the council. So we can find that he had a great position. Number two, he was waiting for the kingdom. And that seems to indicate whenever it talks about waiting, Anna and Simeon in the New Testament were waiting for the kingdom also. It seems like they're genuine. They're real believers. They really are looking for God's kingdom. It wasn't surface. It was real. But then three, what I love is he went boldly to Pilate. I'll tell you, I love that verse. He went boldly to Pilate. Do you know the, in the Greek that word boldly means to work up courage? to work up courage. All of a sudden, somehow, the background disciple, the one who was secret, all of a sudden he boldly goes to Pilate, the Roman governor, and he asks for the body of Jesus. You know what? Somehow his fear gave way to faith. Somehow his fear, like little, little Willie, his fear turned to faith, powerful faith. God was with him. He was part of God's plan. He was so important. Everything hinged. The whole word of God and prophecies hinged on a lot of what he was doing. And he boldly, he boldly goes to Pilate. I remember reading a story about the Civil War, the North against the South, fighting slavery and things. And there was a guy who was in the Union Army, but a battle came and he decided to flee. He was scared. He fled. But in that day, if you fled, your life was actually on the line. He was captured by Union soldiers, and they actually were going to punish him either in prison, and actually they would shoot deserters. But he pleaded. He pleaded his cause. And he was in jail, and he sent a letter. And he sent a letter to President Abraham Lincoln pleading his cause. That He said, though I was afraid and though I fled, he said, if given a chance. And President Abraham Lincoln pardoned him. And what's so amazing is about a year later, at a battleground, they found his body, and attached to him was the note from Abraham Lincoln that he was pardoned. And this guy who was fearful, 
gave, as Lincoln would then say, his last full measure of devotion. He died on the battlefield. His fear gave way, and he ended up dying, but he still had the pardon from Lincoln on his body. You know what? And then, do you know what else? In point number four, he put the body in his own tomb. He put the body in his own tomb. So we see some things about him. It's gathering evidence on Joseph of Arimathea. And I admire, I, I, I admire him that he was willing to give an expensive tomb. Now, folks, this is absolutely critical because haven't you ever wondered? We just take it for granted. We know the story. His body was put in the tomb. But do you know Joseph of Arimathea was fulfilling prophecy right at this moment? He was fulfilling prophecy because Isaiah said that when the Messiah died, he would be crucified with criminals, with the wicked, but his grave what? His grave would be with the rich. And guess what? Joseph of Arimathea stepped up to the plate and he was fulfilling prophecy. He had to be buried in a rich man's grave. The one who was born in a, in a, and laid in a manger in a cave in Bethlehem. And I've been to Bethlehem many times and we go into caves and we think of the Lord of glory who was laid in an animal's manger feeding trough. But then he grows up and he lives. And it says, for the suffering of death, he became a little lower than the angels. But after he died, what is, but therefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Guess what? After the cross, Jesus' exaltation begins to happen. And it starts with the fact that he's going to be buried in a rich man's grave. No more poor. He had completed his mission. He's buried in a rich man's grave, and this is a fulfillment of prophecy. He had to be buried in a rich man's grave, according to prophecy. But, so let's go on to, then let's go on to, oh, that Mark. That Mark was it. So what are some things, though, that we can learn from this story? What are some, some things that we can learn? What are some takeaways as we look at the life of, Jesus. And, and do you know one thing? We looked at Scripture. Can you imagine Joseph of Arimathea taking down the body of Jesus? I think it would almost be unimaginable because the Scripture said his visage was marred more than any other man. And Joseph boldly goes in and asks for the body and then carries a bloody body and maybe Nicodemus was then with him, and they carry this bloody body, and it's just before the Passover, and it wasn't just any, and it just wasn't just before the Sabbath. It was a high day. It was Passover fell on the Sabbath. He's making himself unclean for the Passover, and he takes the body of Jesus and he lays it down. And think of Joseph as they tenderly, they wash the body, and then they put the spices on. And then it says, the scripture says, that Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of spices. Folks, 75 pounds would be a kingly burial. That would be the burial of a king. And they realized that their king had died, and they honored him. Remember at the end of the movie, was it a gla gladiator? And he the gladiator dies, and then they say, honor him. And all of a sudden now, Jesus is being honored. Tenderly, they wash his body. Nicodemus 
And the top, Joseph of Arimathea, they put the spices in. Just think what they saw. You know, it's just unbelievable. And I think then Jesus and Nicodemus, it was critical. Remember, he had to be buried before before the Sabbath. So it says, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, there was a tomb. They carefully carried his body. They carried his body, and they put it in Joseph's tomb, which would not have been far away from where he died. And Jesus is then put in there just as Friday was ending, just as Friday was ending. I just, I just admire Joseph. I just admire that, can you imagine what he now had to lose? Everybody knows that the secret disciple is coming out publicly. I want the body. But he says, I'm going to honor him no matter what he's done. Because do you know what Joseph and Nicodemus recognize? Somehow I think they recognize that Jesus died for them that he took their place, that he was the lamb of God. He was like Abraham's lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. I think back in the Old Testament, if you go with me to Israel, we always stop to, in Bet Shan. I love Bet Shan. It's a Roman city. Uh, it was called Scythopolis. It was one of the Decapolis. But it's mentioned in the Old Testament. It's mentioned because do you remember when Saul died? Um, on Mount Gilboa, Saul dies, and uh, his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, Mount Keshua, all die on Mount Gilboa. And it says the Philistines took his body, and what did they do to Saul's body? They mutilated it, they cut his head off, and they stuck it on the walls of Bethshan. That's They stuck it. It's the, the most dishonor they could think of. Let's mutilate it and publicly display his body. That's 1 Samuel 31. But then the scripture says, but the men of Jabesh Gilead, the valiant men, marched all night to Bethshan at the risk of their life, and they took the body down, and then they marched away at the risk of their own life and gave it a proper burial. Why would they do that? Saul was a lousy king. Saul had walked away from God. But the men of Jabesh-Gilead never forgot one thing. Because if you read 1 Samuel chapter 11, do you know what happened? Jabesh-Gilead was surrounded by Nahash the Ammonite. That would be present-day Jordan. And they were surrounding it. And Nahash said, surrender or die. And they said, And then he gave him an ultimatum, the men of Jabesh Gilead. Gave him an ultimatum, and this is years earlier. He said, if you surrender, I'm going to gouge out all your right eyes. Surrender, we're going to gouge out your right eye. Why did they do that? Because it's hard to fight if you're trying to aim an arrow. Your eye is gone, so it's like Nahash is going to disable their army. But if you surrender, I'm going to gouge your right eye out. Wow. And if you don't surrender, we'll just kill you. And the men of Jabesh Gilead said to Nahash, they said, give us some time, give us a week, we might surrender. And they sent messenger, and guess who heard about it? His name was Saul. Saul, and Saul gathered an army of 320,000 men and went down, and he routed and killed that Nahash the Ammonite and routed their army. 
guess who saved the men of Jabesh Gilead? It was Saul. And though he was a lousy king, he saved their lives. And the men of Jabesh Gilead never, ever forgot it. When someone saves your life, when someone is willing to put their life on the line and save you, we should never forget it. And they never did. And though Saul was a lousy king, at the risk of their own life, they rescued his body and gave it a proper burial. They never got over it. They always remembered. And so also we remember the Lord. Someone, when someone gives their life for you, you better remember. Well, I like to give, what is the application? And I'll try to go quickly because my time is up and the mic's going to go off very shortly. Okay? When you look at a person's life, the story is never over until it's over. The story's never over. Some of us would have said, hey, he was a secret disciple. He's afraid. He's at the back of the line, but they don't read the rest of the story. Remember Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story? It's never over till it's over. He played, too, he played a vital role in fulfilling prophecy. Folks, if Joseph of Arimathea had not been there, do you know what they did with the bodies of criminals? It was critical. The Romans would take down the body and they would throw it in the Valley of Hinnom in the burial ground where it was burning and the dogs would eat the body and the bodies were burned up and the dogs would eat it. Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus had to be buried in a rich man's tomb, otherwise there's no resurrection. The dogs would have tore up his body. It would have been burnt. I'll tell you, that is critical. Three, we need to have the same definition as Jesus. <coughs> he called him a disciple. Even though he was afraid, Jesus called him a disciple. Number four, God sometimes uses people I don't approve of. <coughs> Pharisees, Sanhedrin, and kind of secret. And then five, we need to learn to forbear other people. Give them a break. Keep praying for people. Don't give up on them. <coughs> if, does someone have a glass of water? Elena is here. Yay. Okay. <coughs> My allergies are kicking in. I want to end with this story, though. Chuck Swindoll was preaching at a conference in Northern California, a beautiful conference ground. Chuck is a great, I love Chuck Swindoll. And as he was preaching, um, an older man and his wife came up and they said, we're so looking forward to hearing you. Thank you, Elena. Hey, did you know you're going to get a reward in heaven? Um, as he was preaching, this dear older couple who sat in the front row, every time Chuck's window began to preach, within five minutes, the older man went to sleep. Now, I want to tell you something. I am never bothered if someone goes to sleep while I'm preaching. I really am not. I always say, if you're tired, just go to sleep. But Chuck said every day he started his message, this man went to sleep. And the third day, I don't know why Chuck, guess what, is human. He said, you know, it just began to tick me off just a little bit. And he thought, 
what's the matter with this guy? Maybe he's not a real strong follower. Maybe he's in the back of the line follower of Jesus. Maybe he's not really strong. And, but Chuck would preach, and he would sleep. And he would preach, and he would sleep. But after the conference was over, the wife came up and said, thank you, Chuck, for your wonderful messages. Thank you so much. I want to apologize because my husband is dying of cancer. And this medicine he takes, it's, but it, it just puts him to sleep. And I do want to apologize because my husband's last wish was to come and hear you preach. And all of a sudden, Chuck Swindoll felt horrible. He was judging a man whose last wish was to drive hundreds of miles to hear him preach. And though he went to sleep because of the pain medication, do you see God looks at the heart? God looks at the heart. So be careful how we look at people. I want to have passion and I want to have love for Christ but I also want to have compassion. I want to have compassion for people. Joseph of Arimathea, when I get to heaven, I'm going to visit with him. I'm going to say thank you. Thank you for fulfilling prophecy. Thank you that Jesus had to be in your tomb. Without that, no resurrection if his body was thrown to the animals. Thank you. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. And Father, we just want to thank you for people that have stepped forward from the background and come to the foreground at the right time. And I want to thank you for Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who counted the cost, who boldly came forward and asked for the body of Jesus. And the Bible says this, that perfect love casts out fear. And I think as he gazed at the broken and bruised body of Jesus. He saw the love of Christ, and all of a sudden, the fear that he had before gave way to faith. And he wanted to honor that body, and he wanted to honor that person. And I pray that each one of us, our desire, like the men of Jabesh Gilead, that we would never get over, that we would never forget that someone gave their lives and were willing to rescue us and save our lives. And we could say, save our souls. Thank you for this time now in Jesus' name. Amen.